Welcome to Currency Show, the podcast where we showcase and share insights from first, only, and the disruptive. These are people who are creating new lanes and carving new paths for women, people of color, and diversity and inclusion. My name is Shade Simone. Let's get started. On today's show, we have Mr. Clayton Banks. Clayton has been in the media and tech industry for decades. He is the founder of Silicon Harlem, which provides infrastructure and tech expertise for communities. Excited to have him on the show to discuss what is Silicon Harlem and to dig deeper into what exactly they do, as well as why and how did he get involved so deeply in the media and tech industry. We have Clayton in the house. What up, what up, what up? I can't (laughs) believe I am on Currency Shift, the hottest podcast in the nation right now. I'm I'm amazed at the entire production. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Let's do our traditional cheers with our champagne. Indeed. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Top shelf champagne went down smooth. <laughs> nice it. and chilled, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, Clayton, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I've known you for years. We used to work in the cable and media industry together. But for our listeners, please describe to them, like, where you are now. Like, what is Clayton Banks doing in Harlem? Thanks for having me once again, and it's just a pleasure to be on a show that you are hosting, that you have created. Thank you. And you're making a big difference in our community, so I appreciate it. Where I'm at, similar to you, is I'm looking to figure out ways to help people all over the world, but starting right here in Harlem. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we have found out is that 40 to 50% of homes, literally 40 to 50, it's tragedy. Mm-hmm. 40 to 50% of homes do not have broadband in the home. And when you think about that, mm-hmm. that affects every part of life. Health, education, work, family. Everything is impacted by having an online having online access. So I've dedicated this part of my career at this time, at this very time, to basically bridge that gap and become, if not working with partners and stakeholders, But the whole idea is to provide broadband at an affordable rate because the majority of the reason why people don't have broadband in the home is cost. So if that's the only thing that's keeping them from getting online, we have to figure out a way to do it that becomes affordable. So that's what the company I'm running right now is called Silicon Harlem. We have a new uh, company coming out that's going to actually be an Internet service providing uh, company. So that will all be happening in a very short future. So this is all really, really exciting stuff, especially looking at the poverty gap and access, right? The whole premise behind currency shift is helping people understand social currency, right? The bridging between online and offline connections and access and resources. And if you don't have those resources or access to those resources, then you really don't exist as of 2018. Uh, Let's take a step back, though. I really want to understand understand like how did you become Clayton Banks like was this something you always dreamed of doing when you were younger like what were the beginning for you well certainly my mom and dad had something to do with it (laughs) but um yeah from a very young age I knew I was um 
focused on how I could help a fellow person. Mm-hmm. It was a value instilled in me because my father was a, a military man. He basically yeah. served for 30 years in the Marines. And growing up on a military base like I did in terms of my very early years, it was really clear to me that um, people from all walks of life who make up the military um, basically are all the same. It just turns out that <laughs> I happen to be in a completely democratized environment where everybody made the exact same amount of money. Everyone mm-hmm. um, went to the same schools. We all shopped at the same commissaries and mm-hmm. – even though we may have different groceries in our bags, the bottom line was we were all the same. And so when I realized at a very early age, even though that was sort of my beginning, I quickly learned once my father retired out of the military how unfair things were in the world. And with that kind of stark uh, reality, put me on a real path towards working t- always for equity. How do I always figure out ways to do things that will help everyone? Yes. And so my career – Really, from uh, elementary school to junior high school mm-hmm. to high school to college and, and post-college, all was focused on how can I ensure that what I do will help not only myself. I am a capitalist in some ways. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are. Um, as a young person, you know, one thing stuck stuck out to me probably when I was in like second or third grade. Mm-hmm. I always uh, – I was sort of knew I was intelligent, but I didn't know why I was always getting the top grades in my class. I was always curious because all my friends were smart too, and I was like, what's going on here? And one of the things that I realized later on in life was that my father did something that was really interesting. He bought a children's encyclopedia set, and I loved those things. I freaking loved them. Yeah, those were amazing. It was, they they just, I loved them. So whenever the teacher would assign something. Before Mm -hmm. you go deep. Before our listeners that have never heard of encyclopedia, because, mm. you know, we cover all age groups, can you describe just a little bit of what an encyclopedia is? Well, when my when, – when, for the encyclopedias we had, my father would say, look it up. So <laughs> the bottom line is whoever's <laughs> listening to this and never heard of an encyclopedia, I say, look it up. But it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, back in those days it was um, published by Britannica, and the idea was to basically have – uh, historical information about everything mm-hmm. that existed. So if a teacher in my in my second or third grade would say, hey, we're going to do a paper on planets, I would sit down with those encyclopedias and just do a deep dive because they had pictures in them. I mean, these are children's encyclopedias, so they had pictures and great facts and summarized and all this kind of stuff. And I would turn in these great papers because I had all this great access. Exactly. And it turns out that when you, you, you talk to your friends later on, it's like, you know, they didn't have that. Yes. So it wasn't that I was that much smarter. It was the fact that I had access to something they didn't have. And that, my friends, that's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Intelligence is distributed everywhere evenly. Access and exposure is not. Say say that again for the the listeners because I really want that to sink in as far as like why people are moving ahead a lot faster or a lot slower. So say that one more time. Yeah, I mean it's so true that if you look around the world, and I always say even from the beginning of time, Mm -hmm. intelligence has been distributed everywhere evenly. Even the slavery days, I've read Mm -hmm. many, many, many papers and books where slave owners often commented and wrote about how smart 
and smarter the slaves were. Mm -hmm. But the difference was they didn't have access to books. But there was a natural intelligence to figure out something from a botany perspective or from a physics perspective. There's a natural gift that people have. If you give them the access and exposure, they can take full advantage or not. Mm -hmm. And so if we really want to be honest, intelligence is distributed everywhere evenly, but access and exposure is not. And that's a simple truth. Mm -hmm. And when those, as you eloquently said, do not have the access, they fall behind, even if they're just as smart. So it is a mission, I think, as human beings, if you will. Humanity should focus on how do we open up the channels so that everyone has a shot. Then it's up to the person to be motivated or not. Exactly. So even with this this admirable like mission that you're on and i foresee it actually you know coming true because of everything that you're doing and the strategy that you have behind it providing access and exposure to the majority right but along your path what type of struggles did you encounter or have you encountered well there's always struggle no matter who you are and and where you're coming from um, for me, I've been such a determined person mm-hmm. that I've put myself in some positions where um, I've been able to get the access and exposure. So that's been really important to me uh, personally is to make sure that I'm in the right place at the right time trying to get the right outcome. And so when you think about that, um, the first job I got at college essentially uh, I, I was with Xerox. And Xerox put almost two and a half, three months of training into me, professional training. Mm-hmm. So right out the gate, as a raw 22-year-old kid, I'm getting this unbelievable exposure and access and and professional training yeah. that sort of built my pedigree. And I thought I'd be at Xerox forever in a lot of ways, even though I wasn't loving it. I, just, <laughs> was, like, I was like, I couldn't believe how much investment they put in me, so I was really down with trying to do the best I could. I used to be at the top of my class. I would mm-hmm. I would memorize every manual and, you know, um, was doing very well. But um, as you said, the entertainment side came out in me, the mm-hmm. creative side, which I always had, and was able to morph that from, from Xerox into Showtime, which sort of put me on another path. So it wasn't so much of a struggle as it was keeping my head open for opportunity and really sort of, sort of staying positive around that. Um, and, and if I could quickly say, and I'm sure you got, you have questions around this, but, um, Showtime put me on the trajectory of not only can you, um, make a lot of money, but I used a lot of my time with Showtime and beyond that, as we go forward, um, to use it to do good. Mm -hmm. Sort of the core of currency shift was the money I was making as a young guy mm-hmm. was able to put me in the position to uh, become the national president of NAMIC, for example, yes. having that kind of stature that I had at Showtime and ultimately all the other networks that I worked on. And the struggle is trying to keep everybody happy because mm-hmm. everyone needs something, but the um, real outcome is that you can raise uh, the level of access exposure and exposure, which raises the level of equity. So when you transitioned from Xerox to Showtime and then became uh, the NAMIC national president, during that those transitions, how did you tap into your networks? 
to not only say, hey, you know, I'm Clayton Banks. I am a good guy. This is my pedigree. You can depend on me to move things forward. Like, how did you use your networks to kind of amplify that message? Great question. So at uh, at Showtime, I was able to build up so many relationships because I was in the field as a uh, I began as a customer service rep, not a customer service rep, but like a representative of the network to cable companies. Mm-hmm. So I was building these relationships with the literally the people that were providing the service to the community. And one of my strategies then and to this day is I try to focus on what I can bring to the table rather than what someone can bring to me. And I prioritize that. I prioritize what can I bring to the table. I want to be a benefit to you or I might even want to invest in you. Even Mm -hmm. at a young age, I was always thinking that way because I knew that if I was to be in a position to help someone, that help comes back tenfold. Say that that again. Say that again. If you're in the position to help someone, it will come back tenfold. Mm -hmm. And that's in the um, form of they telling other people about their experience with you or with me in this case. Um, And then those people getting curious, and it just is a multiplier. To your point about currency shift, it's really um, that type of dynamic. If you can put yourself in the position where your relationships become the currency, you actually actually are exponentially growing. And that's what put me in the position to have people wanting to – you know, root for me and support me. And so it became a lot easier when you said, hey, by the way, we're doing this event. Would you mind supporting it? And they, of mm-hmm. course we would. You know, <laughs> look what you did for us, you know, that type of yeah. thing. And I encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast or even watching it is to think about um, what you can do for someone and realize it. nothing may ever come out of that, but the great that could come out of it is an exponential reach uh, that will come back in your benefit. So you want to think that through as you go on with your entrepreneurialism or yes. in your regular life uh, of how you can exponentially grow from your relationships. So this is touching on a lot of the offline, right? So how you relate to people in person, how you build those networks, and how you manage those networks to further your brand and whomever you're working with, their brand as well. Because like you said, it has to be a mutual benefit, but more so how can you help others because it will come back on you. So moving to like the online aspect of your social currency, what is your platform of choice to really amplify your message and connect with people online? Well, certainly having a website is important. So uh, whether it's my personal website, which is Mm ClaytonBanks.com, or uh, through the company, SiliconHarlem.net, you basically need a beachhead. And for me, that's been the website. On going, however, Mm -hmm. the very first platform I really tried to exploit was Facebook. Mm-hmm. And this was the early days when it wasn't where it is today. <laughs> yes. But the what I found that was really working is that I shared knowledge around technology. It was not about what food I was eating or what place I was visiting, which I do a lot of that now. But, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was really focused on what if I could help people around the country who may follow me, who may friend me, who may know me, uh, learn about certain things. So I was talking about, 
you know, driverless cars years ago when people were like, what the hell are you talking about, Clayton? And big data. And and big data and machine learning, all these things I I would post and I still do around Facebook because I wanted people to learn. Mm -hmm. And I would get messages all the time, man, you're the tech guru. I, I love reading this stuff and you know, and then Facebook just started growing exponentially like crazy, and mm. now there's so much other type of information, and um, it's become much more of a social platform rather than a, um, a platform for real intelligence from my perspective. Um, and it's all good. I mean, there's a lot of people connecting that way, and you can still get a message through. Since then, though, I've been, you know, trying to take advantage of all the new platforms as well. Of mm-hmm. course, Twitter is has been really good to me and in getting short messages out there and links that can get people into a deeper dive, uh, Snapchat, a bunch of other things that we use. Uh, and really the whole core of it, though, is to have a message, have a real clear message that technology is the new driver of our economy. Yes. So I noticed with LinkedIn, you have over 3,000 followers, right? And for the listeners, your followers on LinkedIn, those are the people who follow the content that you distribute, right? So the information that you share, the actual connections, that's something different. That's how many people actually said, hey, I like you. I want you to be a part of my social network. As I grow, I want you to see who I'm growing with as well. And what ways did everything that you did before, like working at Showtime, working in tech, working at the the companies that you did, how did that help you kind of grow your online presence on LinkedIn and really give you that kind of uh, local influencer touch? Well, I'll, I'll, let me break it down in a simple way. Mm-hmm. So even before social media, I actually was alive before social media. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame to say that uh, that I was also alive before cell phones. But the point is is that this is all the same. Yeah. Everything that we're talking about today was the same 100 years ago, mm-hmm. which is we as people want to connect. We want to be connected. There's really no great advantage of being disconnected. It's much more advantage to be connected. And in the, at the root of it, it's connected to each other. Exactly. And when you think about that, social media has a role to play. It's not the only thing that can connect people, but it certainly has a role to play as we move forward. But the but but those platforms are just you know people call it technology, whatever you want. Those platforms are facilitating the same thing we used to do back in the day when I would run down the street and talk to my neighbor, or when I would um, pick up the phone and call somebody, or um, whenever we met up at a a mutual location. There's nothing different about it. It's just that it's just like some technology making it a little bit easier. So to your question of, you know, how I have exploited that, it's not so much of the technology that's made me a 3,000 following guy. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that I care about connecting to people and I want to be connected to people. There's people that will ask you to connect to them that I'm going, well, why does this person want to connect to me? Yes. And I don't know if I <laughs> used to ask that question all the time, but I certainly do now. And and when you connect to one person, you know you're connecting to the people exactly. that they know. So exactly. they're going to immediately go, well, who did they just connect to? Yes. So then you get this flurry of people that you're going, wait a minute, um, how did this happen? So I try to be... Um, clear that those connections that I make mean something and they're not just a number. That's good. So 
we already talked about the struggle. When times are tough, like, how do you do? But who is your go-to person? Like, because we all have these go-to people. Like, I have my circle of friends that have seen me ugly cry and really, like, flip tables because I'm just stressed or, like, I don't understand how or why certain people do certain things. So for you, like, who do you lean on to really help you through tough times? Or, mm. like, what do you lean on? Oh, by the way, listeners and those who are able to view the podcast, you don't want to mess with no Chicago girl. <laughs> all right? So I know all about that rage. <laughs> well, I, I, I've I had some great, unbelievable um, people in my life coming in, some coming out, but certainly mentors and, and friends that have been ex- exceptional in in advice and support i when i left xerox and got into the entertainment space at showtime mm-hmm. i was working in la and from la i came to new york and the and i just loved it i loved the fact that one i got promoted and two i was making a whole lot of money and three mm-hmm. i'm in new york and the guy who brought me to new york was my boss a guy named tom hayden who's now the ceo of the smithsonian channel wow and he was my first i think in in life in a lot of ways, who just had such an influence on me in terms of the way he saw business. Mm -hmm. He was as business savvy as anyone I had ever met in my life. Um, My father was an accountant, but at the core he was a military man, so that's what he knew. So he wasn't telling me about an agenda. My father wasn't thinking about an agenda (laughs) or a meeting and none of that kind of stuff. So, So Tom really turned me on to the fundamentals of business that was incredible. And to this very day, I channel him when I come across certain uh, negotiations or issues. So I, I, and I've never actually talked about him, I don't think, anywhere on air or anywhere ever because, you know, we've just grown and kept going. But asking me that question, I have to mention his name. Mm-hmm. And others along with that, a guy named Bob Gerard, who was the general counsel of the next uh, network I went to after Showtime, which was Sega Channel, which was a historic network, and then mm-hmm. it was the first all-digital network in the history of television and sort of paved the way towards uh, cable modems. And mm-hmm. And uh, Bob Gerard was the general counsel of, of our network who came from HBO, and uh, he would just give me all the insight I needed when it came to negotiating uh, legal agreements and mm-hmm. contracts, and he also just had a, a demeanor, a Harvard guy. You know, he just had this demeanor of, of success. From Sega Channel, I ended up at Comedy Central, and within a month or so, we had the South Park script, so that changed all of our lives, all did great, you know, and the CEO um, there was also this progressive, really sort of uh, grew up in entertainment type guy who really did pull the trigger on us putting South Park on the air. We were all a little nervous about it because (laughs) we were reading scripts that were, we never even aired, they were so so uh, raunchy. Yes, but, I remember that came out. Yeah, yeah. It was a <laughs> lot of fun to, to take that ride. And um, Doug Herzog, who was our CEO, I still give him credit for for being bold like that. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just along the journey. There's been people that have worked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy called me yesterday that we worked 20 years ago together, and he was re- recounting some stories that he and I had had and, and was looking for advice from me. Um He's now the producer of a tremendous stand-up comedy um, club at uh, Martha's Vineyard. So he's mm-hmm. been doing some great work out of Chicago. Yeah. And um, and so it's it's not just people I've worked for, but it's people who's worked for me 
it's peers, it's everyone that you just try to listen. And uh, and if I'm in a jam, um, I just have I have a great friend named Howard Horowitz who doesn't live too far from me, but also worked in the cable industry for many many years as a researcher. A great sounding board for for almost any issue that I have. So yeah, I appreciate it. And of course, the family, right? So my mm-hmm. wife, my friends are all um, vital to that type of advice. That's good. So what do you do? to celebrate your wins. And what type of wins do you celebrate? Let me take a sip of champagne real quick <laughs> while we're talking about that. Mm. Well, I celebrate all the time, whether it's for a reason or not. But mm-hmm. the the reason why I the reason why I do really appreciate accomplishment is that it hopefully will have a ripple effect right through society. So I try to make sure that I'm celebrating all the time so that mm-hmm. people see someone that really appreciates what's going on. So it could be a little thing. You know, a, a little story was um, New York City is very hard to park if you're driving, right? So it's just oh, a, it's the it's a worst. nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> so I had a pretty hectic day one day, and I was late for a meeting, and I was trying to park my car. And um, for whatever reason, some, some lady was getting ready to pull out, so I stopped. And as you know, that starts to back up the traffic. Yes. So people were walking like crazy because <laughs> the lady was taking forever to get out that spot. And I was like, what's going on here? So I did the tragic thing of pulling up to see if she was coming out. But everyone was pulling up right behind me. So now I can't back up to get into her spot. But finally she says, listen, I'm pulling out. Why don't you just pull to the side, let them go by, and I'll wait. And when I come out, you can get the spot. I was like, okay, great. And I went into Zen mode. Mm-hmm. And I just said, oh, I'm going to calm down because I was really yeah. First guy comes up, stops at my car, rolls down his window, and curses me out. You mother this and you stupid that and bing and dang do. And in another era, it would have been on, right? So, <laughs> like, you know, maybe even less than four minutes ago. But right. I had been in such a Zen mode that I looked at him in his face and I simply said, I'm parking. <laughs> and the guy said a few more choice words and left. And so now I'm thinking everyone's going to stop and curse me out. <laughs> but as the cars go on by, finally go on by, this lady finally pulls out. I get in the spot. I get out of my car. The guy who cursed me out came back around the block. Aww. So now I'm going, i got to get my Harlem back on. I don't know what's, <laughs> what's happening here. you know. I don't know. But I'm trying to stay in the Zen mode. But I see him coming. <laughs> And I'm outside the car now, and he didn't look like, you know, a pushover. He looked like he was mean in business. Mm-hmm. But he rolled down his window, and uh, so I, I'm i just standing there to see what's going to happen. And he goes, hey, man, I want to apologize for, for what I said. Wow. And the point I'm making is I celebrate even stuff that could be controversial. Mm. That was a win. He don't know who I might know. He, I might have known his cousin. I might have known his aunt. I might have known his mom. And I'm sure. And you know what commitment it is to go around yes, a block in, in New, New York, York City. Yes. <laughs> so he made a commitment to come around and apologize to me. And I was like, wow. It made my week. For a week I was celebrating that type of activity. So I celebrate everything. That's good. That's good. I like the fact that that was just a great story about not stooping to someone else's level. I hope he hears this podcast. I I almost wanted to like give him my card and say, "Hey, man," because 
you know, you know, you, I guess you don't know who you might cro- come exactly. across. Exactly. So I hope he hears this podcast. I hope he maybe watches it and remembers that episode because it was definitely a defining moment. Like you're full of so much knowledge and like so many stories. I highly recommend like if the the listeners uh, take interest in this, I know you will. Uh, check him out on LinkedIn. Check him out on the Instagram Snap, uh, and really, really, really follow his journey to greatness. My question for you is if you could put one piece of advice, just one out of all the things that you've heard and you've experienced and seen, and you can put that on a post-it and stick it on your desk, what piece of advice would you post? Well, that's a great question and a tough question um, because you're right. I, I have so many different ways of shaping that type of message. I will do it in two ways. One, let me quote. Martin Luther King, and then I'll quote Clayton Banks. All right, fair. So Martin Luther King said, if you want to be great, you have to serve. And I think anyone listening to this podcast ought to remember that your greatness will come from your service, Mm -hmm. not from just telling people what to do, but to be able to support others around you. That's an important thing, and I thought, you know, MLK had a really good message there that still resonates resonates to this very day. Mm-hmm. For me, um, if there's one piece of advice I want to give anyone from any walk of life is you should <clears> – <throat> I can't say it as eloquently as MLK, <laughs> but I do have my way. If you have any opportunity to provide access and exposure to another human being, you should do it it will definitely come back to you. So if you can open up uh, an avenue for somebody to get, in, to get a book, mm-hmm. if you can open an avenue for someone to be introduced to someone that mm-hmm. could help them, if you can provide um, access to a, a certain amount of resources, anything you can do that will open up access and exposure for the fellow human being, is it's not a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. Um, let me put it another way. If we do the right thing for the least of us, it will benefit the rest of us. If you do the right thing for the least of us, it will benefit the rest of us. These things are not zero-sum games. Let me give one simple example. When I was growing up, you could not... you. All sidewalks were fully curbed. Today, a law was passed after 25 years of people in wheelchairs lobbying the government to get cutouts in sidewalks. And those are the mini ramps that dip in the sidewalk. You can, like, roll your suitcase. In That's a, and this is the exact point. It's a mm-hmm. great description you just gave. The, it started with people in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And... Able people were like, what do we need those ramps for? What do we need those cutouts for? We These are curves. Well, they're like, well, I don't like having people have to come up behind me and help me get up the curb and all this stuff. So when the Congress finally passed that law, there's hardly anywhere in the country now you can't go um, without seeing those ramp, those cutouts inside of the sidewalks. And to your point, who did it benefit? It certainly benefited those in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. But now... If you're pulling luggage, as you said, the first thing you look for 
is one of them cutouts. <laughs> yeah. And if you're pushing your baby stroller, the first thing you look out is for a cutout. If you're a senior citizen on a walk, you're looking for a cutout. And people like me, mm-hmm. I like looking for a cutout just walking. <laughs> so it's not a zero-sum game if you do mm-hmm. the best and the right thing for the least of us it will benefit the rest of us, all of us. Powerful quotes, powerful. So now we'll transition into something a little, a little fun, just a little fun. I've been having fun. This is fun for fun for me. This is my favorite part of the show. Okay, right? good. Uh, and I'm glad you're having fun. Let that mm-hmm. be known. If you want to be a guest, we we have a lot of fun on the show. It's a blast. <laughs> All right. So this is what I consider just like a speed questions, right? I'll ask you. I'll just say like a word or a phrase, and you just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. All right. So we'll get started. Favorite band? Rolling Stones. Favorite drink? Beer. Role models. Martin Luther King, my dad. Mm. Should I need more? It's up to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'll stop there. Luxury item. Mm. Uh, boats. Favorite food. Spaghetti. Favorite country to visit. Australia. Really. Australia? I loved it. Huh. Melbourne. That's a new one. Australia. Yeah. Melbourne is my spot. All right. Best way to give back? Being honest. Retirement place? Uh, Sunny golf course and ocean. Mm. Cartoon? Flintstones. Drama? Um, Movie-wise? Whatever. Shawshank Redemption. That is a good one. That is a good one. I enjoyed that movie as well. Comedy. Stand up. Any anybody in particular? I loved Eddie Murphy when he used to do stand up. I have watched a lot of Richard Pryor when mm-hmm. he was doing stand up. Um, yeah, I love stand up comedy. I used to, it, it, there was a guy named Robin Harris who passed away who had the famous uh, routine about Bebe Kids. Mm. And I used to go see him live in the hood, right, mm-hmm. in Compton. And the comedians would come out and see him. He was that funny. And he got, his life was cut short, unfortunately. But mm. right out of Chicago, by the way. Yes, Southside, Chi-Town. Mm-hmm. Hello, how y'all doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is... That's so, it? No more rapid questions? No, no more rapid okay. questions. Is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with? Well, for me, we, we, have a, a, we have the challenge of our life right now, particularly your generation and those behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it World 4.0. And World 4.0 represents what others have called the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. We had the first, second, and third industrial revolutions, right, um, that have made the world a better place in a lot of ways. But each of those revolutions have created also divides and negatives. We are about to embark on the fourth industrial revolution. Industrial revolutions have been defined primarily through the infrastructure of your cities and, and your country. 
um, that infrastructure going from home production to mass production, mm -hmm. from, um, you know, sort of transportation being transformed through steam engines and things of that nature that made right. planes and trains. Um, and then the last revolution being the digitization of everything. So now we're going into the fourth industrial revolution. These things only come around every hundred years or so. Yeah, that's true. So you, you know, my generation already did a lot of cool stuff. We brought <laughs> y'all the internet. We brought you cell phones. We're done. You know, we did our part. Right. But now the, the, the challenge of the future, yours and others, is how are you going to treat this fourth industrial revolution? That, for Clayton Banks, is being defined not only by streets and bridges and all of that type of infrastructure, but by broadband particularly. Because in the future, everyone will be connected. Yes. It's billions of people online. Everyone will be connected. And hear me good. Everything will be connected. Inanimate objects like walls and streets will become animate objects that can listen and get smarter and mm -hmm. try to be much more helpful to a human being. So if everyone's connected and everything is connected, the question is, is it going to be connected for equity or will it just create more divides? And the way we either help that or avoid that is if your generation, you, Caleb, anyone else who's under some sort of age, mm -hmm. is if you bring all the voices to the table. In the past, all the industrial revolutions have been designed, developed, and deployed by men. Mm -hmm. Men with really great degrees. Right. Men with great degrees that grow up in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. They look at the world through that prism. It's not racism. It's not nothing. Sexism, none of that. It's just how they see this. Guys like me mm -hmm. grew up in the suburbs, got good degrees. I'm a dude. So <laughs> I get it. I really get how... We see a garage and grass in our front yards, and we leave our door open, and the kids go out and play and come mm -hmm. home and have a nice dinner and sit down on a big fat screen and do their homework. That's how we see the world. So we design and develop everything that way. Mm -hmm. But that's how you end up with sidewalks that have no curbs because we also think everybody walks like us and talks like us. So why should we think about somebody in a wheelchair? So your generation, if I could leave this one thought, should be thinking about how do we think about the – infrastructure, the world 4.0, this America 4.0, how do we look at it as a way to bridge gaps, to destroy divides, to make sure that we're all um, given a fair shot, given the access, the exposure. Infrastructure has everything to do with that. In the past, when a road was put down, it would make a divide in the south uh, side of Chicago or Kansas City. You see it. This is not me making this up. This is historic. You can see the actual development that went down. And like I said, maybe someone is unintentional unintentional consequences of not having everyone at the table. Exactly. So that's what your generation has to do. That's what I want to leave with you. All right. Very, 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 very good knowledge that was dropped here on today's show. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Tons of fun. Don't forget to connect with Clayton Banks on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. You use the same. Clayton uh, Banks. Clayton Banks. That's it. Clayton Banks. And I look forward to connecting with your audience particularly because if they're anything of a <laughs> reflection of you, 
we are really going places. So I'm very excited. Thanks, Thank everyone who's listened, who's watched. And thanks to your crew for helping us make me sound good. <laughs> Thank you, Clay. All right. Thank you for joining the conversation. To learn more about Currency Shift, go to CurrencyShiftNow.com. If you feel as though you meet the criteria for the first, the only, or the disruptive, send us an email at info at CurrencyShiftNow.com. Until next time, keep pushing, stay motivated, and stay encouraged.